0: Well, good morning, guys. Good morning. I invite you to take your copy of the scriptures and turn with me to 1 Peter chapter three, uh, looking at the same paragraph as last week. First Peter three verses thirteen through seventeen. We had a lot of uh, kind of introductory stuff to talk about uh, to acquaint ourselves with this text, uh, and if you weren't here, hopefully you can still make sense of it. I think you probably can. Uh, so we'll start out uh, reading it. I decided I'm going to read out of the Legacy Standard Bible this morning. Uh, and uh, so follow along as I read. Uh, this, is, this is the word of the Lord. And who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their fear and do not be troubled. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense To everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and fear, having a good conscience, so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who disparage your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better, if God should will it so, that you suffer for doing good rather than for doing wrong. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for that uh, reminder this morning to flee from idolatry. Thank you for the warnings of Scripture, the Old Testament. Uh, Lord, we thank you for your holiness. Uh, your holiness is uh, is a, is a threat to us in a sense, a warning. It's it's scary, it's intimidating, but it's also our safety. Um, and it's your beauty, and we thank you for putting us on the other side of your wrath. Yes, we have no wrath to fear as your people because Jesus Christ has absorbed all of the wrath that was destined for us. We were at one time children of wrath, even as the rest of mankind. But now we've been ransomed. We've been justified, declared righteous in your sight, and now we're accepted by you. And we thank you so much for this forgiveness, for this clean slate, for this uh, righteousness that is imputed to us, so that we have confidence that you love us and you know us. But it's also a confidence that you will discipline us if if we continue in sin and embrace that sin and hold on to it. We thank you that your character is unchanging and you're dependable. And we praise you for your holiness. We thank you that you won't allow us to continue in, in sin and in unholiness. We want to be holy. We want to be pleasing to you, to bring you pleasure with, uh, with what we believe and what we think and what we choose and what we do, and what we say. And so we thank you for your, your, uh, your love which is a purifying love. Um, And your undeserved favor takes a different form, a different look when we continue in our sin. Uh, It means that you will discipline us and you will correct us, lovingly correct us. You'll discipline us that we might share in your holiness. Uh, For without this holiness, no one will see the Lord, as the writer of Hebrews tells us. And so, I pray that you'd help us today to respond to your word and not just be a a hearer of the word, uh, but also a doer. So help us, Lord, to look at ourselves in that mirror and to prayerfully discern where there is idolatry, where our hearts are craving evil things, uh, Things that are evil because because we put them too high uh, in our hearts and we consider them to be more important than you. Show us those things that we might turn from them. Uh, I pray that you would help us to have the kind of relationships with one another, with our brothers and sisters, that we would really talk to each other about these things and uh, ask good questions probing questions out of love and with gentleness that we might help one another to identify that idolatry. Uh, Not not probing questions out of self-righteousness but out of humility and love desiring that we all would be pleasing in your sight. For you care about our personal holiness and our corporate holiness. Uh, And it's all about your glory. So... And even as we go through this text this morning, uh, you, you have that same challenge to us, to care about our, our holiness. Uh, so help us, Lord, teach us, and we pray this through Christ, amen. Okay, so uh, last week we studied this uh, paragraph, we saw Peter's beginning a new major section, Uh, it's a little bit difficult to discern this change in the section, but he's focusing more specifically, more directly on persecution and preparing us for it or equipping us for it. Uh, And certainly we need to be prepared about it. And Sometimes maybe we uh, isolate ourselves, we feel somewhat isolated from the world and from persecution, and we forget that it really is supposed to be, uh, even by God's design, part of our lives, right? John 15, verse 20 Uh, Jesus said, remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. 2 Timothy 3.12, Paul says, indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Paul says to the Philippians, chapter 1, verse 29, for to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, for his sake, for his honor, for his glory, it's been granted to you not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. It must be so. We must then be equipped for it. And we're reminded that, because we sometimes we hear those pastors and we're like, well, I don't know that I've experienced much persecution. But that persecution, it doesn't mean that we're taking a physical beating or that we're being martyred, right? But it can include insults and people saying things that make us feel shame. We feel embarrassed. And so there's pressure to not... Uh, Speak the truth or to live a life of faithfulness to God. We want to compromise in some ways. And so uh, there's that kind of persecution. And so Peter, uh, he gets right to the point here and tells us how uh, we should be, how can we, we can equip ourselves or what it means to be equipped to live in a hostile world. And chiefly, he says in this paragraph, we must hallow Christ. And none of our translations use the word hallow. Uh, But I kind of wish they did. Uh, They use the word sanctify, sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Or the ESV says, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Okay, well, honor as holy is how they're translating the word that I'm saying. Uh, I would translate it as hallow. Uh, Sanctify is the way it's normally translated in the New Testament. But I, I like the word hallow because when we use the word sanctify, it means to make holy, and we think of taking something that's sinful and changing it and making it holy. But if we're talking about making Christ holy, <laughs> then it sounds kind of weird to talk about making Him holy because we don't change Him and He's already holy, right? So we're talking about how we think of Him and uh, uh, how we're affected by Him and how we treasure Him and delight in Him and so forth. And so that's why I would use the word hallow. Because even though it's an uncommon word, we always use it when we think, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. We know we're talking about exalting God in his name. And so, and that's what Peter has in mind here uh, when he says in verse 15, in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord is holy. That's the ESV. Or in your hearts, that's, this is where it happens. And not in Christ, uh, sanctify him, but in your hearts, this is where the, the honoring happens, or the sanctification happens, or or the hallowing happens. It's in your heart. So, we're not changing Christ, we're not making Him more holy, but making Him more holy in our thoughts. In our thoughts, we think of Him as unique and set apart. Uh, on the highest place, the highest pinnacle in our hearts, He's our treasure above all, and He's unique in that way. So, uh, you know this is not just a, a prayer uh, it's not it's it's a task it's it's a personal responsibility it's an action that's your chief task to to set Christ apart from everyone and everything else uh, set him apart in your hearts as unique and exalted above all um, Peter has called us to magnify uh or to display His glory in the way that we live our lives. He's called us to that in this text, in this book. But now He's saying you can't make any progress in that without actually in your heart first, as a priority, loving Christ and treasuring Him. If He's not your treasure, you won't be able to have actions that, that, that reflect that, that He's your treasure. It has to be real. You have to fear Him and only Him. So that's what these suffering believers needed to do. If you want to prepare yourself for persecution, keep, keep yourself from caving under the pressure, the most important thing that you need to do, the priority is to love Christ above all, to treasure Him, and to count Him as holy. Bow before Him in reverence. And uh, Peter, uh, when he says it, uh, these aren't really his words. He's stealing. He, didn't, he doesn't have to footnote, I guess. They didn't have the same rules for footnoting. But if I were writing a paper uh, for seminary, and I worded what he said. I would have to footnote it and say, this is coming from Isaiah 8, 11, and 12. Um, but he wouldn't have been able to get away with anything because people, New Testament Christians, they, they knew their Old Testaments. So they'd know immediately, ah, he's, he's taking Peter, or taking Isaiah's words. And, uh, so it's an amazing thing that he does that, though, because there, in Isaiah, it's Yahweh speaking. And, uh, and he's saying, I want you to, to honor me and to treasure me above all. And so Peter's saying, uh, yeah, let's apply that to Christ. You need to honor Christ. So he's, he's equating Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, with Yahweh. So he, is, he totally believes in the deity of Christ, which is awesome because, you know, just thinking about how he listened to Jesus, he, he ate with Jesus all the time, and it's, it's just it's exciting to me when I think about those, when I come across those statements where he's like, yes, my friend whom I have known for these years. He is Yahweh in the flesh. You know, it's awesome. So, uh, so, so, hallow Christ as Yahweh. Hallow Christ as as Lord above all. Uh, He's the king over all, and he is uh, our master. And do this in your heart. And Alexander McLaren, I like a, a little comment that he made about this text. Um, great preacher. I love to read Alexander McLaren's commentaries. Uh, just his meditations on the text are... Uh, are always so encouraging he says it's the very center point of the personal self and when peter says hallow him in your hearts he means that deep down in the very midst of your personal being as it were there should be fundamental to all and interior to all this reverential awe and absolute trust in jesus christ and habitual thought a central emotion an all-dominant impulse Out of the heart are the issues of life. Right? He's quoting from Proverbs, right? Uh, Out of the heart are the issues of life. And then Jesus. Put the healing agent into it. Right? Out of the heart are the issues of life. So, put the healing agent into it. The fountainhead. And all the streams that pour out thence will be purified and sweetened. Deep in the heart put Christ. And life will be pure. So, Christ is that healing agent. He's saying, put that healing agent into your heart. Treasure him. And it has a healing effect on your heart. And that's the fountainhead. Put Christ in the fountainhead, and then out of it springs purity and holiness and faithfulness. And we'll see a whole bunch of things. That's what Peter's outlining. And so that's exactly what we need to do. So Peter's challenged us to live to display the glory of God's grace. But lest we think that we can just check that task off our list every day. Like every other task, he tells us it begins with true worship and love and reverence for Christ. You live in a hostile world, and the only way you're going to make it is to hallow Christ. Um, So we're almost ready to state the main idea of the passage. I didn't even give it to you last time. It's in that box, right? Uh, Almost ready to state it, but we have to see how all this relates to hope because Peter sees these as interrelated And I think we can see that, right? If Christ is our greatest treasure and He's the Lord over all, He's the most awesome, He's the one we fear, well, He's the one that is our hope. We hope in Him. He's our confidence, right? We can see how those fit together, but look how Peter fits them together in verse 15. He says, In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you, for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. So honor Christ the Lord is holy. Exalt Christ in your heart. Always being prepared to make a defense. Get ready to, to, to answer people's questions when they come to you and ask you. He could have said it this way. When they come to you and ask you why you're exalting Christ as Lord in your hearts. But he doesn't say it that way. He changes it up and gives the equivalent of it. Exalt Christ in your hearts. And be ready to answer people's questions when they come to you and ask you why you have this kind of hope. Right? Hope is another way of saying Christ is the highest point in your hearts. Um, so Peter envisions that people will see the hope that is in you. But how can people see your hope? Hope is immaterial. And I think that's what the passage is all about, demonstrating your hope, allowing people to see it. So I would say the passage is about hallowing Christ by hoping in Him and helping us to know what that actually looks like. Um, People are going to see our hope and ask us where it comes from, and then we're going to explain our hope. It's our hope that is going to enable us to overcome our fears and do everything else in this passage. Um, The distinguishing mark of a Christian is to be hopeful, the distinguishing mark of a Christian is to be hopeful. How you respond to difficulties matters. The hope, this hope will become so animated that unbelievers will ask for an explanation. That's what Peter's calling us to. That's what God is calling us to. Be so hopeful and, and so that your hope is then animated. It's like it has feet and arms and it's acting and working and people say, oh, I see your hope. Why do you have this kind of hope? How can you have this kind of hope when you're treated like this? Uh, When you have these kinds of difficulties? How? Where does that come from? Um, So, Peter gives us five characteristics. Here's the main idea. Peter gives us five characteristics of a hope that hallows Christ and equips you to live in a hostile world. Five characteristics of a hope that hallows Christ and equips you to live in a hostile world. So, hallow Christ with a hope that, number one, is zealous for good deeds. Hallow Christ with a hope that is zealous for good deeds. Is that exactly how I worded it in that? I kind of feel like it is. I feel like I might have changed up some of these. I better have this <laughs> accessible to me so there's no confusion. Yes, good. All right, verse 13. And who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? So we talked about that question. It's, it's a difficult question. Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? The assumed answer is no one. That's the answer he expects everyone to give. Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what's good? No one. And the idea is that, that Peter's idea is that there is, uh, you know, who is there to, to cause you ultimate harm if you prove zealous for what is good? Uh, because certainly there's going to be some harm that comes to you in some sense, even if you are zealous for what's good, right? Uh, he's made that point a, a, a number of times in this letter. So what is his actual point? It's who is... Who is there to cause you real harm? If you prove zealous for what's good, who is there that can really harm you? Uh, Because it it made the point in the previous paragraph that you can live the good life. Uh, who, Who desires to love life and see good days? He says, be zealous for what's good. That was the point of the previous paragraph. You're invincible if you are entrusting yourself to Christ, the Lord, If you give yourself to service to Him, you are safe. Uh, You're invincible because He is the Lord. Yes, people can harm you in some sense, and it really does hurt. Insults hurt, slander hurts, physical pain hurts, but they can't separate you from God's love. They can't stop God from accomplishing His purposes for you. God causes all things to work together for your good. Everything is going your way because Christ is the Lord. And there's no one that anyone, there's nothing that anyone can do to stop that. If someone insults you, guess what? It's, it's serving you. The Lord will, will force it to bow to His gospel purposes for you. So who is there really to to cause you real harm if you prove zealous for what is good. Um, they can't stop God. It's your, so it's your hope in God that will make you zealous for good deeds. So he's saying, hallow Christ, treasure Him above all, esteem Him highly by putting your hope in Him, and then people will ask you where your hope came from, and how will they see your hope? They'll see it in your, in your zeal for good deeds. Uh, verse 16, he Says kind of the same thing a little bit later. Uh, they are reviling you for your good behavior. Verse sixteen, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. And there he makes it abundantly clear that this good behavior, these good deeds, is in Christ. Uh, these aren't just good things defined by our culture. They are good things done out of loyalty to Christ and independence on Christ and done to magnify Christ, right? Because it's in the sphere of truth about Christ and who He actually is. It's good works done in that context, and that's why He says it's in Christ. Uh, so they see your hope displayed in your good behavior. You're zealous to serve Christ, to do good works, to honor Him, uh, even, even in spite of all the difficulties of life and the distractions of life, the other temptations of life, because, boy, he's your great treasure. He's the one that you really hope in. He's the one who can satisfy. He's the one that can defend you and take care of you. So nothing stops me. Now I'm zealous for doing good deeds. Um, chapter 2, verse 12 says, we looked at that a while back, right? Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. There, there's our conduct, it needs to be honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds. So that conduct that's honorable is seen in our good deeds. They see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Right, so those, that, there, there's an obedient life, obedient lifestyle, and that obedience flows from hope. Uh, look at chapter 1, verse 13 again. Chapter 1, verse 13, we keep going back to this pivotal statement. Uh, verse 13, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that, that is being brought to you. Remember, it's a present tense participle, present tense verb. It's not that it just will be brought to you. That'd be future tense. Peter uses a present tense. Uh, set your hope fully on the grace that is being brought to you. In fact, if, if you're okay with it, You can like uh, circle that. Maybe put a, and you might feel kind of guilty or bad. So maybe just put a dotted line through. um, uh, What will be brought to you, and then just write an arrow into the margin and say is being brought to you, right? Because it's present tense. And if you want to make a little note, uh, it's present tense. uh, It's present tense verb. I don't know if that makes any sense. All right. Set your hope fully on the grace that is being brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I know it sounds strange. It's fully going to come at the revelation of Christ, but it's being brought to you right now. All right? And so you're setting your hope on that. Okay, so what difference does this hope make? Well, he ties it, in Peter's mind, it goes right along with obedience. Look at verse 14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Right? So what's the relationship that Peter sees between? He sees them as connected. Hope and obedience, they go together. Hope comes first. You have to have hope in Christ. He's going to take care of you. He's got your back. He'll bless you. You're safe. And that leads to obedience. Uh, I mean, you think about people who are despairing or depressed. They're not zealous for good deeds. They're bogged down. What's the point? What's the point of doing good stuff? What good is that going to do, right? But if you have hope in Christ, then you're like, I'm weak, I'm nothing, but I can do stuff because my hope is in Christ, because he strengthens me and energizes me and uses me for his glory, right? So hope leads to obedience. Now, what kind of good deeds does Peter have in mind? I'm going back in my mind now to our text chapter three, 3, verse 13, right? Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for good deeds or for what is good? What are these good deeds that Peter has in mind? Well, he's spelled out a number of uh, good deeds, right? Giving us examples. That means that you're blessing those that curse you or those that insult you. That's a good deed, right? So it's blessing people. Remember, blessing isn't saying, I bless you, right? It's it's a prayer. Lord, right? He's got the power to bless. Lord, bless spirit person that just did wrong to me, okay? That's a good deed. Brotherly love, he exhorted us to do that, right? To love others as family. Uh, having uh, gentle and quiet behavior, he exhorted uh, wives who are married to unbelieving husbands to have gentle and quiet behavior. That, those are good deeds, right? Then there's uh, showing honor to your wife as a weaker vessel. There's a good deed. Uh, how about this one? Subjecting yourself to the government. Submitting to the government and what the authorities that God has placed over you tell you to do, and subjecting yourself to bosses, even bad ones. Uh, not obeying them when they tell you to sin, of course, right? We remember that qualification. Right? So those are some good deeds, and we could think of some more, but those are, those are the, uh, uh, the the summary of them, I think. You know, and, and it's amazing to me, it's very common for Bible scholars and Bible teachers to say that this book in particular, this letter of 1 Peter, uh, more than any other New Testament book, tells Christians how to address a sinful culture and the city and the world. How to live in, uh, in the sinful culture in the city and the world. And what's striking is that Peter never calls us to try to transform the culture. Never. He never calls us to any kind of social action like you hear all the time in evangelicalism. The good we are to, to, to be zealous for is, is personal holiness and corporate holiness. That is the good behavior. Those are the good deeds. Um, it's so trendy to talk about social action. There's so much pressure on the church, to be involved in social action and to forget the mission of making disciples and just go out there and better the community. But it isn't trendy at all to talk about personal and corporate holiness. And that's what Peter's talking about. And that's how we live out this mission. Uh, With holy lives, we make disciples. And we teach them to observe all that Christ has commanded and how can we teach him how to observe what Christ has commanded other than that we're doing it? We're obeying his commands. We're doing the good deeds that he calls us to and enable others or help others to do that too. All right, so that was just a little side comment. And <laughs> I just think about social action. There's so much that's said about that. And, and this is the book they're always saying go to. How does hope lead to zeal for good deeds? Let me ask you that question. Let me throw it out there for you. How does hope lead to zeal for good deeds? You are not thinking about yourself. Your needs are supplied by the Lord so you have an abundance of extra energy to serve. Yeah. That's good. Oftentimes we're just bogged down, feeling needy. And when we're full of hope... hmm. We're we're done looking at ourselves and what we're missing out on. And so we're freed up to do good deeds. That's good. What else? It mortifies cynicism. Um, The fact that so many people are like, why why even try? This is useless. The world is passing away. The world is going to you-know-where in a Mm handbasket. But that kind of cynicism is not. Exactly what Peter seems to be trying to destroy. Yeah. Yep. We, well, we, we're always asking, what, "What good is this? What good is this? What can really be accomplished?" And if we're not hoping in Christ, then oftentimes the answer is, "I don't know, nothing, nothing, nothing." What I can't, I can't make a dent in this, right? But you think of uh, 1 Corinthians fifteen. Is it fifty-eight? Uh, Be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor is not in vain. It's not futile, it's not empty, it's not useless. In the Lord, right? When we hope in the Lord, we know that He strengthens us, energizes us, and and uses what we do. And so it makes us always abounding. And and the word abounding is good because it communicates that zeal. We don't just dabble in these things. I mean, when you find that something can accomplish a lot, you like to take all your eggs and put it in that basket, right? And when you're confident in the Lord and you know He uses you and uh, you're His instrument and He's gracious, right? That's part of the hope, right? Yeah, I'm a sinner, but oh, He gives undeserved favor to sinners. I mean, so He's going to use me. Uh, then you want to take all your eggs and put it in that, in that basket, in His basket. What do you want me to do? Because this is exciting. Um, and I think about that when I think of a church planting. Like, it, it just gets me so excited that the Lord will use us to plant a church for His glory. Another lampstand there in, in uh, North Knoxville, and we're a bunch of nothing. We're, we're nobodies. We're so weak and powerless. But uh, in the Lord, mm, our work is worthwhile. It's not in vain. Nothing's in vain. It's not futile, it's not empty. <laughs> so, okay, good. What else? How else do you think hope generates zeal for good deeds? Anything else come to your mind? Yeah. I would say it's kind of what you just said there at the end the last, last sentence there is like when you know the end of something, what you're looking towards, um, and the, it, it will give you energy, it will give you endurance. Kind on of the flip side of something that you're working on, uh, either you lose sight of the, your purpose for... Why you started it, or mm-hmm. maybe you don't even know why you're doing something at all. Your motivation to continue is is fading away. Yeah, yeah. Weariness is something we have to face, and uh, so hope is that is what enables us to overcome that weariness. Um, uh, what's that? What's, I'm thinking of Galatians six. Um, what you reap is what you sow. Uh, Whoever sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap destruction, but whoever sows to the Spirit shall from the Spirit reap eternal life. Yeah, what's the part about um, don't grow weary in well-doing, for in due season you will reap if you faint not. Mm -hmm. You will reap because Jesus Christ is Lord. You will reap. So, so, so. He said redeem the times of the days are evil." chapter before I said, redeem the time. We see that that the days we are in are super evil, so we should be redeeming the time even more. Right. Yeah, it works when you redeem it. It makes the lost people, why are you like that? Why why is your, like you said, your attitude and behavior like that when they literally see the world burning down Mm -hmm. around them and they're like, why are you like that? Right. You're not affected by the news and by this. Like, you're just yeah. walking around nice and calm, and then you're able to tell them. Yeah. So is your uh, hope in Christ, is your treasuring of Christ, leading you to be zealous for good deeds? Not just doing good deeds. I think the zeal's significant, right? Zealous for good deeds because zeal for good deeds people are zealous for a lot of things but zeal for good deeds where do you see that and why why would you do that when people are doing things with energy we're always asking why why are you doing that why is that such a big deal to you so let's be zealous for good deeds uh i think that hope in him also means that we are admiring him uh and so then there's that that desire that we uh imitate him um So I think that's another way in which it uh, contributes to zeal for good deeds. Second characteristic of hope. Uh, In a world of hostility, you need to hallow Christ with a hope that, number two, counts unjust suffering as a blessing. Counts unjust suffering as a blessing. Uh, Peter says in verse 14, But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Uh, the, word, the words, you will, in some translations are you are. Uh, they're not actually in the text. Uh, it just says, but even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, blessed. Right? You could say it's kind of punchy. Uh, Peter's, <laughs> it's got some energy here. Uh, even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, blessed. Right? You should put an exclamation point after that. And I'm sure he's raising his fist uh, when he says it. Uh, the word for blessed is makarios. It's different than the one in the, that would translate as blessed in previous verses in this letter. We've seen it before, uh, the, word, the English word blessed. But this is makarios. This one refers to spiritual happiness. It's more along the lines of rejoicing uh, with inexpressible joy from chapter 1. And it's the word that Jesus used. And I think that Peter, when he says this, had Jesus' words ringing in his ears, Matthew 5, 10 through 12. Blessed, or Makarios, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you, and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. There he doesn't use Makarios, but he puts in there a substitute, which I think means the same thing. Rejoice and be glad. And he's got to stack up two different words to intensify the idea, because that's the idea behind Makarios. Rejoice and be glad. For your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So if you do suffer for doing good, rejoice. See your place of privilege and enjoy spiritual happiness. So how is one blessed? If you suffer for the sake of righteousness, how are you blessed? Why should you be spiritually happy? What do you think? Because you're taking on the characteristic that Christ um, left for us as an example. Yes. Yes, being like Christ. That's amazing yeah. that we could ever be in that position. Yeah. Likeness <laughs> to Christ. It's awesome. Yes, that's a blessing. What else? I think it confirms certainly what's written in Scripture. And so that would be... <sighs> Confidence to you that yeah. I'm doing this. This is what Scripture says is going to happen. It's actually happening. Right. Yeah, all according to plan. Divine, divinely ordained plan. That's good. What else? Romans eight eighteen. 18. I consider that the sufferings of the present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed to us. Yes. Yeah, you think of that comparison. And so you're, it lifts your uh, perspective, your view of the glories that will come. If only we could get that, make that connection in our hearts, in our minds. Suffering? Oh my goodness, glory is going to be so awesome. <laughs> but we should. Scripture makes that connection over and over again. Yeah, that's good. What else? So what I think of is we're like the prophets. Right, because he says that Jesus says that you're like the prophets. Oh yeah, oh that's right. All the other prophets they experienced this, and you feel like this camaraderie, and it's kind of it's kind of uh, kind of the same as uh, saying this is the divinely ordained plan. But I think of how the plan has been executed, and other people have experienced this. God called uh, these other prophets of His, and they were persecuted, and now here I am continuing in this in this tradition. So I feel this camaraderie, this fellowship. Uh, There's this great cloud of witnesses, which I think the writer of Hebrews is appealing to. Uh, We want that great cloud of witnesses um, to join them. Another one is the anticipation of a heavenly reward. When you suffer uh, unjustly, it's for the sake of righteousness, rewards. Rewards. Uh, There's someone keeping track of that, (laughs) and he doesn't miss out on any of it. He doesn't He's not, he's not too lazy to take notice of it. Oh, where's my, where's my record? Where's my pen? Oh, I, what, how many times did he? No, it's all charted. I mean, <laughs> Scripture promises us this. Jesus did. There are rewards. And sometimes I think we get the rewards, we go, I don't know what the rewards look like. Gold coins, that can't be what it is. But who wants gold coins anyway? We don't even want that, right? Oh, I'm going to have a 100-inch TV and heaven. Well, I don't know about that either. Uh, we don't exactly know what it is, but we know it's, there's, it's going to increase our joy, uh, increase our capacity for joy and our experience of joy. Um, in, in the Lord. Did I say that? In the Lord. That's the whole point. Huh? Can't miss the most important part. Uh, increases our joy in Him. Uh, it's evidence that you've uh, given the gift of salvation. When you suffer for the sake of righteousness, there's another reason why it's, it's a blessing. It's evidence that you belong to Him. It's like He's, he's, putting, his, I don't know, he's putting His mark on you. This one's mine. Uh, and that's exciting. Uh, there's fellowship in the suffering. I think Paul was alluding to in Philippians 3. The fellowship of His sufferings being conformed to His death. There's a fellowship that we enjoy with the Lord as we suffer together with Him. Um, so we, we could say more, I think, but that'll get us to the next point. All right, so in a world of hostility, you need to hallow Christ with a hope that is zealous for good deeds, that counts unjust suffering as a blessing, and uh, that banishes all other fears. That's number three, right? Banishes all other fears. It says at the end of verse 14, have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ. So having no fear of them, it's, it's the, it's, that's what it means to honor Christ, and that's what it means to hope in Him. Don't fear their intimidation and do not be troubled. Uh, so here's, here's Peter quoting from Isaiah 8, 12, and 13. And verse 14, remember he quoted earlier in chapter 2, so he's been meditating on Isaiah. Uh, Isaiah spoke on Yahweh's behalf to Ahaz, king of Judah, back there in, in Isaiah 8. Uh, Ahaz was fearful, and he was hearing a bunch of conspiracies from all the people. And so he made an alliance with Assyria, which was contrary to the will of God. But he was fearful. He heard all these people, they're all conspiring together against me. He made this alliance. He knew it displeased the Lord, but he did it anyway out of fear. He thought the ungodly alliance would make him safe. Ah. But isn't that what we do in our sin? I thought if I could just have that thing, even though it's unwise to purchase, I thought if I could just have it, then then I would be satisfied. No, it never works that way. Uh, Isaiah 8, 12, 13, you are not to say, it's a conspiracy in regard to all that this people call a conspiracy. And you're not to fear what they fear or be in dread of it. It is Yahweh of hosts, whom you should regard as holy. And he shall be your fear. And he shall be your dread. So regard Yahweh, or Jesus Christ, as holy. Set him apart from the others. Fear displeasing him more than fearing Other nations, right, in Ahaz's case. You think you're safe with an ungodly alliance, even though you disobey the Lord who is holy? But Ahaz had put up on the pedestal in his heart other nations and what everyone else was fearing. And we can do that. And this is the importance of biblical fellowship, isn't it? We always talk about the things that are really important to us. Well, be careful how you fellowship. We talk about the things that are, we're afraid of. Everyone does. Listen to your neighbors next time you're talking to them. They're talking about what they're hoping in, what they're afraid of, what they want, what they long for. They're complaining about the things that matter so much to them that they're not getting. That's what they're doing, and that's what we're doing too. <laughs> so we really need to sanctify Christ as Lord in our hearts, right, and hallow Him. Because then when we talk about him, we'll talk about how he's awesome. We'll talk about his promises and how he's been faithful, right? And how it's right to put hope in him, how he always comes through. Let me share with you how he answered this prayer, right? And these are the things that are exciting to us. And what happens is we start sharing other people's fears, fear of Christ, right? A holy reverence for Christ. We start hoping in him the way others are. Uh, And that's why it's important as God's people that we do prioritize fellowship and talk about those things. But then comes the warning, but when you're with your neighbors or you're with other people, when you're watching the news, don't fear what they fear. Stop. Stop dwelling on all the conspiracies. We're not afraid of all those things. We know the Lord, right? So... Don't be afraid of the sorts of things that men threaten you with. Instead, fear fear the Lord. And then number uh, four. In a world of hostility, you need to hallow Christ with a hope that, number four, elicits and provides a reasonable defense. Elicits and provides a reasonable defense. Uh, Verse 15. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Right, So we're looking at the second half of that verse where Peter says that this hope in Christ or treasure in Christ, it elicits uh, and provides a reasonable defense. So your hope must be visible so that it elicits a defense. It causes people to wonder what drives you so much so that they ask about what makes you tick. And so you give a defense. The word for defense is apologia. Uh, in the Greek, which we get our word apologetics from it. Apologetics is a defense of the faith. It sounds like we're making an apology uh, in the sense that we're we're asking for forgiveness for something, but that's not the idea at all. The word was used to describe the work of an attorney uh, when he makes a case in court, and he argues a well-reasoned case, and he's persuasive. That's what apologetics is, being persuasive, uh, making a uh, a well-reasoned case for something, and in this case, for our hope. Oh, make, putting our hope in Christ is the only thing that makes sense, right? So you're offering this defense to those who would ask you to give an account for the hope that's in you. The reason or the account speaks of a logical reason. Give a logical reason for your hope. Prove the case that God is worthy of your hope. That's what Peter's saying to do. Be ready to do that. Prove that it makes sense to put hope in Christ, to put all your weight on him and his promises. When someone says, why do you hope in Christ for your salvation? Don't say, oh, I don't know. Everybody believes in something, don't they? Well, I guess that's just the way I was raised. Of course, we wouldn't say that, right? But we've heard others say that, that profess faith in Christ. And they answer that way. I figure, what have I got to lose? If you're wrong, you go to hell when you die. If I'm wrong, I guess I'll still be okay. I've heard <laughs> I hear people, I've heard Christians say that. Have you heard Christians say that before? It's Pascal's wager. That's what it's called. Yeah. Uh, that's an unfounded hope. It's not grounded in the promises of Christ. It doesn't value the word of Christ. It doesn't attribute authority to Christ. Uh, someone else may say, I've weighed the evidence, and it just seems to be the most reasonable. Let me give you all the evidences of it. And then you weigh the evidence. Um, just and the, the pop, more popular way to do that is try, try Jesus. Um, someone says, I see you're zealous for good deeds. I wish they had that kind of motivation. What, what compels you to live the way you, you do? Don't say, "Hey, I know if I treat people well, eventually it'll come back to me, Now I'll be treated well." That is proverbially true, right? I read that passage from Proverbs eighteen last week. Proverbially true, but that's not the answer they need to hear, right? That's not why you're doing it. Um, well, society just won't work if we are if we're all selfish. I'm just doing what I can, right? There's so many so many ridiculous things that. People say, and maybe we'd be tempted to, to say. Um, but the remedy is to hallow Christ by hoping in Him. Don't just plan out what you're going to say. Go ahead and do that. But as a priority, hallow Christ in your prayer, in your Bible reading, in your repentance of sin, um, in, in, the, in the way you plan your agenda for the day. And for the week and for the month and the way that you set goals for the coming year hallow christ right do it in those ways hallow christ and then you'll be ready Um, how do you defend the faith you don't need to rehearse and practice complex arguments to be faithful uh we hear the word apologetics and we're like oh man I don't know. I understand most of the philosophical arguments. I don't think I can do it. And that's not what Peter's talking about at all. You don't need a PhD in Christian intellectual thought. What do you need? You need to hallow Christ by hoping in Him. That's what he's literally saying you need. If you sanctify Christ in your heart, you'll be ready. Um, just uh, assume what, what Jesus has said is true. Uh, you're talking to somebody who doesn't believe that the Word of God is true, right? But don't abandon your convictions and your loyalty to Christ and say, well, yeah, I guess you don't really believe the Bible, so let me go outside the Bible to try to prove to you that you should listen to the Bible. No. You speak as though Christ were true. Don't abandon your hope to try in a way, to try to, uh, in a way of proving your own hope, that it's reasonable to hope in Christ. You're undermining the very point you're making. I don't know if you follow that, but hallow Christ in your heart, love Him and worship Him, honor Him and cherish Him in your heart. People will see it and they'll ask about it, and then uh, you explain from the Scriptures why He is awesome. Uh, and you do it with gentleness and respect. He says um, that's part of uh, providing a reasonable defense. You do it with gentleness and respect. Our defense will be gentle and fearful if we're sanctifying Christ or setting Him apart as Lord. If we're hoping in Him, we'll be gentle. Right, in the way that we talk with people. And it's the word that's oftentimes translated as meekness. Uh, the meek will inherit the earth. Uh, that's the word for gentle. I like meekness a lot better because there's a different Greek word for gentleness, which is like uh, strength under control. Uh, that's good. That's good for uh, gentleness. But this is different. This is meekness. And the exposition of meekness is found in Psalm 37 because Jesus, when he says the meek will inherit the earth, is quoting psalm 37 and psalm 37 is a whole exposition of that idea and there he talks about how you roll your ways the translations used to say commit your ways to the lord trust also in him and he will act right and then he says this is meekness so we're not all fiery we're not all agitated uh, punchy with our words and with our actions um, now there's a calmness that we have because we've committed our way to the Lord. More literally, we've rolled our ways onto the Lord. This, is, this way the Lord wants me to go It's difficult. I can't even do it. So I'm just going to roll this onto the Lord because He's strong, right? We, we recognize His strength, His wisdom. We recognize that he, he loves us. He'll take these burdens. I think Peter probably has that same thing in mind when he says at the end of this book, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you, right? Casting them. Right? We're, we're rolling these things that are too much for us onto Him. He can take care of them. And then what happens to us in our hearts? We're, ah, oh, I can breathe now. Right before I couldn't breathe, I was all tense, right? Uh, the muscles, you have to go to the chiropractor because the muscles in my shoulders are all, oh, they're all knotted up. So this is how way we handle stress. We roll our ways onto the Lord and we trust in Him. We know He will act. We can totally give it to Him. Uh, because of his promises to us and his character and then when we talk with people we're not irritated Uh, we speak with them in a in a calm way in a an attractive way a well-reasoned way right that's that's meekness and it's the meek that will inherit the earth that's a real true sign that you really know the lord because you're not living on your own trying to make life work you've come into contact with the lord of the universe and, you know, he loves you and takes care of you. And so you, you trust him with things in your life. And uh, so you have this gentleness. Uh, this is the same word that Peter used above when he was talking about a gentle and a quiet spirit, the gentle. Uh, that's where wives will get this from. And then he says there's, you do, do it with gentleness and respect. The word respect is uh, uh, it's, it's, it's. We get our word phobia from it. It's the word fear. And I don't think he's talking about fearing them or respecting them, the people we're talking to. I think he uses it the way he does all throughout the letter of fearing God. And it fits with that word meekness. See, gentleness doesn't necessarily, the normal word for gentleness, doesn't necessarily allude to our relationship with God, but meekness does. Meekness, we see, there's a humility there because we see ourselves in relationship to God. We're not gonna try and make life work without Him, but we're gonna roll our way onto Him, commit our way to Him, be obedient to Him, trust in Him, be loyal to Him, and then that makes us uh, humble before others and not pushy and assertive. Um, and uh, so that fits with fear, right? So we're gentle towards others because of our, our committing our way to the Lord, and we're, we're fearful of Him. Those, those naturally fit together, and I think that's where Peter's going in his mind. So defend the faith, and this is a lot more important than getting your arguments down. It's being well-reasoned and gentle because you're trusting the Lord. Uh, You're not afraid of, you know, sometimes you might be afraid, I don't know if I can come up with a way to answer this guy. Uh, He seems like he's come up with better arguments than me. And we start getting agitated and unreasonable. We can't follow what they're even saying, and we don't even respond to what they're saying. We're just irritated we want out of this conversation. And so, man, we need to hallow Christ as Lord in our hearts. And that's what equips us to, to, uh, to give a defense. All right, the last one is maintains a good conscience. Maintains a good conscience. Uh, this is what this kind of hope does. Uh, you need to hallow Christ with a hope that maintains a good conscience. Verse 16. Verses 16 all hang together. Having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Uh... So have a good conscience. Uh, it's a, this, conscience is this God-implanted ability to distinguish right from wrong, and it's an alarm system, right? When we do wrong, it, it sounds an alarm, and we're in pain, uh, and it's a great blessing to us, right? So uh, don't ignore your alarm system, your conscience. Um, if you do, it can become desensitized. Some unbelievers are completely desensitized. Paul talks about it in Philippians 3.19, uh talks about first timothy 4 2 uh, they're called defiled consciences or seared consciences and uh the alarm goes off but no one hears or maybe in a sense the alarm isn't going off um, now of course your alarm system is not infallible it can be misinformed it can be overly sensitive blaring when it shouldn't uh first corinthians 8 and romans 14 talk about that um it can be underinformed, not really sounding the alarm every time it should. So we should make sense, we should be cur- uh, careful with our conscience. Four, four different uh, ways we should maintain a good conscience. Number one, educate your conscience consistently with the Word of God. Let the Word of God be your guide. Take yourself to the Word and your conscience will be trained and refined to to line up with God's word. Number two, refuse to violate your conscience at the moment of temptation. Refuse to violate it. Uh, Paul says in Romans 14, whatever is not of faith is sin. So if you're going against your conscience, what you're saying is, I don't know that I'm re- really relying on, uh, on what Christ has said in, in his word, but I'm just going to go ahead and do it anyway. I might be veering from his word, and so I'm not relying on him uh i'm going to rely on actually what this guy says or the pressure i'm feeling outside of me i'm going to rely on that to be my guide and whatever is not of faith in christ and his word is sin so refuse to violate your conscience at the moment of temptation number three repent immediately when there is guilt repent immediately when there is guilt Uh, so you keep it sharp don't get used to the alarm going off and you're doing nothing uh, you run to Christ in repentance. And then number four, live a life of integrity before God and man. Live a life of integrity before God and man. Counting on the promises of God to bless a life of integrity. I'm going to do what my conscience says, a conscience trained by the Word of God. I'm going to do that no matter what may come, because I'm going to trust in the promises of God to keep me. Um, and this is what will enable you to be faithful. Um, and so he says, uh, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Um, you won't be the one that's put to shame, but they will, because they're on the wrong side of things, and you're on the right side of things, because you're following uh, your conscience and living by faith. Um, for it's better, he says, verse 17, to suffer for doing good, If that should be God's will, then for doing evil. Um, And that's what we're going for. To suffer for doing good. That's what will be a blessing. That's what will provoke people to ask about our hope. So if you, you know, how do you get to the point where you, you get yourself to do good? It's better to suffer for doing good. How do you get yourself to do good? Well, if you want to change your behavior, you have to change your hope and hope in Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Uh, you call us to hope in Christ, your son. And it's a command and it's exciting for us to hear such a command because When you call us to do it, you give grace and you empower us by your spirit to do it. And it is our great joy and our great privilege and blessing to to behold the glory of Christ in the gospel, in the scriptures, to know him as he is. We are blessed to have that veil removed. We are blessed to understand who he is through the lens of the gospel. He's the one, the righteous one, who died in our place. In obedience to you, love for us. Because of him we're justified, we're sanctified, glorified. He is the one who keeps us. He is the Lord of heaven. He sits at your right hand, rules and reigns over all things for the benefit of the church, for our benefit. There is no opposition that can be successful against him. There is; He he, he never worries about anything. He reigns in glory. We thank you that we can know him. And now help us, Lord. Help us, Father, to glory in him every day, to delight in him, to hope in him, that we may be equipped to live in a hostile world. We pray this in his name. Amen.